Good morning. How are you? I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus. There's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Uh, as we heard there, we are serving, uh, celebrating communion together towards the end of our service. So I'll give us our message. We'll sing a song together. And then after that song is when we will move into communion, just so you are ready and prepared. As Gray pointed out so well, in this kind of a time of pause, we hope that you will use it as an opportunity to grow closer to God. That's why the discovery courses are there. And also a chance uh, to grow closer to God through, through seeking uh, whether counseling uh, or just the mental health help that we need. We hope that you will take, take those steps. I do want to say a special hello to our watch gatherings this morning. Hello, everybody. Uh, last week I had no Sunday responsibilities, and so my wife and I and our girls went to one of the watch gatherings. We had a ball. We had a ball. There were just people of different ages and uh, different life stages and worshiping together. It was just fun to sing with other people uh, in, in the room. I mean, we were spaced out, of course, but singing with others, uh, reading the scripture together, laughing together. It was, it was great. So I want to say a personal thank you to our ministry partners who've opened up your businesses or opened up your homes so that people can physically come together and worship together during this time. We know that's not everybody's level of comfort right now, nor does it have to be. We're not going to mandate that. But for those who do feel comfortable in that way, thank you for taking those, those steps forward. We're trying to give us a long, nice on-ramp to, to coming back and worshiping physically together during this time. So thank you for letting uh, being the start of that on-ramp. Today we want to wrap up our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. To get into it, I want to talk about identities. We all have a lot of identities. We have things that define who we are. For instance, for me, like I'm a I'm a follower of Jesus. I always hope that's my top identity. I'm a child of God. I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a citizen. I'm a son. I'm a son-in-law. I'm a grandson. Uh, I'm a Dr. Pepper connoisseur. I, I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs. I'm a D on the disc. I'm a I don't know what number on the Enneagram. If you know, you're free to let me know. I've not taken it. <laughs> But all that to say, we are so many different things. We are who we are. We're who we think we are. All of this starts to shape us in every moment. Who we are, but also who we think we are, starts to shape how we act in the moment. I mean, we all can, I think we all, many of us can experience, what is it like when you get something stuck on a tape in your head that says, I'm not good at this? Or, or I, I'm not worthy to be loved, or I'm a failure at that, or I'm just a failure generally. What happens when that gets on the tape and it just plays and plays and plays in your head? Our, who we are, but actually who we think we are, begins to define how we act and how we live. And I think we can learn a fair amount from the recovery community in this. The recovery community has wisely said that when I'm in recovery, what I know about myself is that. I am in recovery, and my focus is to live that out today. 
not forever, just for today, one day at a time, I am in recovery, and I'm going to try to live that out today. It's this unshakable identity that gets lived out daily. And that's kind of what the sermon is about today, that our identity matters. We have all these important ways that we can define ourselves, but who we are and who we think we are matters, and it begins to shape us in ways we may not even realize. So let's look a little more at that unshakable identity as we wrap up the Fruit of the Holy Spirit series. You'll remember the main text of the series says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that when you follow Jesus, or if today or in the future you ever come to follow Jesus, Jesus sends God the Holy Spirit into your life. And the Holy Spirit empowers you with a dynamite-like power. He empowers you to live in a different way. He redirects the purpose of your and my life, that we would become a witness for Jesus, an ambassador for Jesus, a minister in Jesus' name, that we would live lives that point people towards God. One of the chief ways the Holy Spirit does this dramatic transformation is he transforms our character into a more Jesus Christ-like character. That's what's meant by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit implies that there's cultivation, that there's a partnership here. It's not an equal partnership. The Holy Spirit has his part. You and I have our part, but there's a partnership cultivating this more Christ-like character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's different than receiving God's forgiveness, which is not a partnership. It's a gift. God did all the work and we receive it. We receive reconciliation with God. But once we receive it through Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and then the partnership begins in earnest. The Spirit's part, our part, redirecting the purpose of our lives, giving us a more Jesus Christ-like character. So if you've been around the last nine weeks, you'll remember the first week we looked big picture about Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, how this fits in. Then we spent seven weeks looking at the different virtues and attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, one or two at a time. Today, we want to finish up by looking at the biblical passage that contains the fruit of the Spirit verses. So we're kind of moving into the immediate biblical context, textual context of the fruit of the Spirit. Kennedy read this for us earlier. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 25. And I'm just going to tell you the point of the sermon today, so you don't even have to wait and wonder. The point of the sermon today is that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, being a child of God, being a spirit-filled person, being a Christian is an identity that we live out daily. Being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a child of God, a spirit-filled, empowered person is an identity that we live out daily. And you'll see this in the passage as we walk through it. So in the passage for today that Kennedy read for us earlier, there's a contrast going on. It's kind of like a column A and a column B. The contrast is who we are before Jesus and who we are after Jesus. The contrast is who we are before we receive Jesus into our lives, before we put Jesus at the center of our lives, 
and after we receive Jesus into our lives, after we receive him into the center of our lives. It's kind of like one of those makeover shows, the passages, where there's like the before picture and the after picture, and you have to squint and go, is that even the same person? I can't totally tell. That's what we're looking at. Before you follow Jesus, or if you ever come to follow Jesus, before is the old you, but now you are a new you. Before you were dead because you were disconnected from God. God is the source of all life. And so before you were dead and now you are alive, you are truly alive. Before you were enslaved to your desires, to to your insecurities, to your sins. And now you are free. You have been set free from those shackles so that you and I might dance. And, And the Bible's words for the before and after go like this. The before is called the flesh. And the after is called the spirit. Before is called the flesh. After is called the spirit. What does the Bible mean when it says flesh? Because we're going to see that in the passage a fair amount today. What does the Bible mean by flesh? In context like Galatians 5, flesh, which is sarks in Greek for those who care. In context like Galatians 5, the flesh refers to the sinful state of human beings. And is presented as being in opposition to to the spirit. So the flesh is referring to the before part of the picture, the sinful state of human beings. Now you may say, look, Flake, you call me Flake. Look, Flake, I'm just a dude sitting at home. How am I supposed to know that? Well, I actually got that as the footnote in the Bible I used. That's what I just told you is actually the footnote in the Bible. We just put it on the screen for you. The point being, the editors of most modern Bibles have made this information more readily available. So the more you study the Bible, which you can do on your own, the more you study the Bible, the better you'll get at it. And if you're not totally sure what Sutton's talking about, use a footnote or reach out to someone who might know a little more about the Bible than you. The point being, before Jesus, the before column, the flesh column, we are in rebellion against God. And that rebellion plays out in so many different ways, but it's almost like the rebellion has gotten deep down into us, like the rebellion got down into our flesh. But this passage is not about the flesh and its victory. The passage is about for a Christian. If you are a Christian or become a Christian, the passage is about the Spirit's victory over the flesh. So what does the Holy Spirit's victory in your life look like? As a Christian, or if today or one day you become a Christian, it's not about the flesh, it's about the spirit, the spirit's victory. What does the spirit's victory look like? It looks like number one, number one, number, 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 number one. The Holy Spirit makes us truly alive. The Holy Spirit makes us truly alive. Verses 24 and 25 of Galatians 5 say, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So through Jesus, through the crucifixion of Jesus, a grand exchange has happened, and it's happened in Jesus' name. Through Jesus' death, our rebellion against God has been called out. It has been judged, and it has been forgiven. It was called out, It was called wrong and it was forgiven so that we might be reconciled to God. Part of reconciliation is you have to, both people have to want it, but you also have to deal with the cause of the division. 
So Jesus in his death dealt with the cause of the division, having our rebellion called out and called wrong so that now we can be and forgiven so that now we can be reconciled to God. The passage says that when we put our faith in Jesus, our flesh is crucified. Our flesh is like Jesus. It's up on the cross. And what happens when you go up on a cross? You die. The flesh is dead. The flesh is no longer the driving power of your life as a follower of Jesus. And in its place, Jesus has sent God the Holy Spirit. So while you and I were dead in our rebellion and wallowing in our flesh, in that moment of faith, Jesus makes us alive. Jesus makes us truly alive, filling us up with God the Holy Spirit, giving us the power and the filling of God the Holy Spirit so that our flesh has been crucified. Our flesh is now dead. Our flesh is not the driving force of our lives. The Holy Spirit is This can be a challenge for those of us who are more in the cautious or the curious camp. We're thinking about stepping over the line of faith. And it just seems like, you know, like, what's the big deal of doing that? I'll still live at the same house. I'll I'll still go to the same school or work at the same job. What's really going to change? And the Bible says, like, switch how you're looking at it. I just switched glasses as as a visual there. Switch the lens as you're looking through. Yes, like... Life stuff doesn't seem to change that much. But what the Bible says is, in fact, everything changes. When you step over the line of faith, even if it doesn't seem like this dramatic fireworks go off moment, everything has changed because the old you has died. The old you has been crucified with Jesus so that the new you is is born by the Holy Spirit coming into your life, filling you with the power of the Spirit to live differently. And that gets me to number two, number two, number, number, number two. The Holy Spirit frees us to live differently. So the Holy Spirit makes us truly alive and he does it in such a way that he frees us to live differently. Verse 13 says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So the death of Jesus sets us free. We are set free from our flesh. We are set free from the condemnation that we deserve. Jesus has set us free. Why has Jesus set us free? You want to get out your pens and papers for this part. Why has Jesus set us free? So that we might be free. You got to write that down. That's hard to remember. Jesus has set us free so that we might be free free he took off our shackles so that we might dance not so that we would go find more spiritual sounding shackles christians are free people now where the bible is clear we follow but where the bible is not clear or especially when the bible does not speak directly to something christians are free people christians are free to study the matter christians are free to come to their own conviction on questions like what translation of the Bible should we use? The Bible doesn't say. How should I as an individual or we respond to COVID-19? How do we respond to God's work of justice and reconciliation that we talked about at our Striving for Unity time? There is no one right Christian answer. Now, there may be some wrong answers, but there is no one right answer people who are following jesus and trying to study and live according to the scriptures 
will not all go about everything exactly the same way. And that's because Christians are free people. And within our freedom and the different convictions that can be spawned, the point of the passage is serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. Because if what we do is start to bite each other and devour each other, that's a, that's a lose-lose situation because everyone will start biting and devouring each other. If you learn anything from social media, it might be that. Once you get in the bite and devour game, it just cir circles down and down and down. This, God already knew that. And so he gave us this scripture that says, let us serve one another humbly in love in the midst of the freedom that we have. So verse 16 says, And so I say, walk by the Spirit. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Okay. So right after it said Christians are free people, it said, but you're not to do whatever you want. What do we make, how do we make sense of that? Well, Christians are free people, but that doesn't mean we just do whatever we want. Because Christians are made alive in the Spirit. The flesh is dead, but there's still a residue of the flesh. There's still this distant, lingering echo of the flesh. Even though I'm alive in the Spirit, I learned how to do some things in my flesh years that my, I don't immediately forget. So what doesn't work is just to say, well, I'm free. Jesus set me free, and this is what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. The Bible is pointing us to something different and saying, is what I want to do from the Holy Spirit, or is it from the residual, the echo of my flesh? So yes, we are free. We are free to live differently. We are not trapped in our rebellion against God. We walk by the Spirit. And so when we get to the actual decision-making of life, we say, Jesus has set me free. I'm free. And this is what I want to do. Is it of the Spirit or is it of the flesh? And if it's of the Spirit, I'll do it. And if it's of the flesh, I won't do it. Well, the, the, the logical question comes out, well, how do I know if it's of the Spirit or of the flesh? And that's where the fruit of the Spirit passage is lays in the scripture. That's why it's important. The Bible tries to give you and me some handholds of what decisions made out of the flesh look like and what decisions made out of the Holy Spirit look like. Because I'm free because of Jesus. Here's what I want to do. Is it of the Spirit or of the flesh? If it's of the Spirit, I'll do it. If it's of the flesh, I won't do it. That's decision making in the moment as people who are filled by the Holy Spirit. And so the passage points out some of the acts of the flesh. Interesting, it calls it acts of the flesh, not fruit of the flesh, right? Because the flesh is dead. Acts of the flesh are things like uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So having sexual intimacy outside of the Bible's narrow bounds, narrow boundaries. It also names things like idolatry, worshiping, giving worship to someone or something that should only be given to God. It names witchcraft. So sort of a dabbling in the spiritual, that, that everything spiritual is good, which is, is not true. Uh, there are some spiritual beings that are good, but there, the Bible is also clear, spiritual beings that are not good. And so sort of just dabbling in the spiritual as though any spiritual thing is good, instead of keeping my focus on the God with the capital G. 
Then it spends a long time talking about things that tear apart relationships. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Things that rip apart the fabric of relationships. And then it ends with drunkenness, orgies, and the like, which are sort of the hallmarks of pagan society. That I have to have all my fun right now because there's no deeper meaning in life. So, so those are some of the marks of flesh-like decisions, things that get outside the Bible's bounds, of, uh, and very narrow bounds of sexual intimacy, things like idolatry and witchcraft, things that tear apart the fabric of relationships, and things that are me living, trying to get all my fun in now because I don't actually think there's deeper meaning in the universe and in life. In contrast to that, spirit-led decisions look like this. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in its biblical context, the fruit of the Spirit is showing us how to use our freedom. Our Jesus won, hard-fought, hard-won freedom, gifted to us, how to use that freedom to walk by the Spirit, how to use the freedom Jesus has given us to live differently and in a more Jesus-like way to spread, to participate in the Spirit's work of spreading Jesus' ministry, spreading Jesus' message, and getting it down into the nooks and the crannies of our lives and down into the nooks and the crannies of this world. So that was number two. That was a long number two. I think this one is number three. If I got off on my numbers, just... Preaching to the empty room is harder than it looks. Number three, number three, number, 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 number. Finally, number three. Walking by the Spirit is an ongoing decision. Walking by the Spirit is an ongoing decision. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Being alive in the Spirit is not an ongoing decision. It's done. It's out of your hands. When you place your life under Jesus' leadership, your flesh dies, the Holy Spirit comes in, and you are truly alive. You are alive, truly alive, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's your identity. That does not change. If you follow Jesus, you are alive in the Spirit. Truly alive. Along with your identity comes a daily decision. I'm alive in the Spirit. Today, will I walk in the Spirit? I'm alive in the Spirit. Today, will I keep in step with the Spirit? I'm alive in the Spirit. Today, am I going to keep growing into the new me, the after picture? Or am I going to try to run back to the old me that was crucified long ago or recently, whenever I put my faith in Jesus? Will you and I look into the deep and compassionate eyes of Jesus and ask him by the power of the Holy Spirit to, you're alive in the Spirit. Will you ask Jesus to make you more loving today? To make you more joyful today? To make you more peaceful today? To make you more patient today? To make you more kind today? To make you more good, gooder, good, more good today? to make you more faithful to your commitments today, to make you more gentle today, to make you more self-controlled 
today. Those are those little bursts of Jesus and how good they will be for the people in your lives, how good they will be for the people in this world. You are alive in the spirit through faith in Christ. Today, will you and I walk in the spirit? Will we live in the freedom to live differently? So my wrap-up question before we sing and then celebrate communion is which of the three invitations in Galatians 5, 13 to 25, and what, which of the three invitations in Galatians 5 do you need to receive? And those invitations are to be alive in the Spirit, to be free in the Spirit, and to walk by the Spirit. Which of those invitations do you need to receive today? To be alive in the Spirit through faith in Christ, to be free in the Spirit. He set you free so that you might be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Use your freedom to live differently in a Spirit way, Spirit-filled way. Or the third, to walk by the Spirit. To make a decision today, I know my identity is secure, but I want to start living it out more. God has so much more for us than what we can even imagine for ourselves. To be truly alive, to be free to live differently, to weigh our decisions as whether they come from the flesh or they come from the spirit. And as we see if they come from the flesh or the spirit, to walk by the Spirit. I've loved this series. I think it's been timely for us. I pray this is not the last time we think or talk about all this, but that this is a new way of living following Jesus. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I pray that as we close out our time together this morning, that you, you will allow those of us who need to be, become alive in the Spirit to leave behind our old selves, to put our faith in Jesus, and to walk forward into the after part of the picture. Lord, I pray for those of us who have made that decision recently or years ago, that we will find new, new levels of love for you and other people as we live in the freedom that Jesus won for us and as we use that freedom to live differently, to walk by the Spirit in the small and big decisions that face us. Lord, may we look more like you. May we be more like Jesus, not so that people will give us praise, but so that we can continue your mission to the very ends of the earth, getting down into the nooks and crannies of our lives, our communities, and to, as I said, the ends of the world. We make our prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen. And amen. Well, this would be the time where we would receive your prayer requests and offering. We would love to pray for you. Let us know how at davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. And if you have a tithe or offering to give, you can always do that. Lakeforest.org slash give. Or you can send it into our church office. But we love you guys. Let's worship together and then we'll receive communion together. <laughs>